Did you know it was World Emoji Day? I did not. Well, to celebrate World Emoji Day, Adobe gave us the the top three emojis, which are... <laughs> I don't know why I keep insisting on calling this laughter with tears. <laughs> emoji all have official names. What's the official name for this? Face with tears of joy. Face with tears of joy. Okay. <laughs> so that was number one. Heart was number two. And number three was kissing. What's the official name for that one? Oh, face blowing a kiss. Face blowing a kiss. Okay. Oh, also known as blow a kiss, blowing kiss, kissing. I want to know their sampling methodology. I want to know how they came up with this hypothetical list of supposedly the top three emoji. It's a fun list. Please. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. No, I, I'm going to ruin this for everyone. No, I'm kidding. What are your top three then? Uh, I thought you'd go with yours first. Okay, fine. My favorite emoji. The shrugging guy. I'm just like, uh. <laughs> the smiley with a sweat drop. Like, I'm going to say something and I'm slightly embarrassed, but delivering bad news slash good news i don't know smiley with a sweat drop uh, w- in what order are these oh sorry so shrugging man is number one smiley with sweat drop is number two okay and then actually to be honest number three should probably be like the xd face you know like the smiley with eyes shut but i'm instead gonna say it's just the face palming man because i feel like i've been using the face palm a lot the last few days but your keyboard, will, your Apple keyboard will show you what your top three are. Oh, oh, really? Oh, sorry. I didn't know I was supposed to use official methodology for this. I just, I was just like, whatever I felt like. Okay, let's see what Apple tells me then. Let's, let's try and send you a message. So my top three then are... Oh, okay. So we, are we going to redo this? To say them as well. It's fine. We're not, we're not going <laughs> to cut the, the previous bit out. <laughs> Okay, fine. If we're going to go through a rigorous methodology then, which I'm sure Adobe did when they did their World Emoji Day survey, my top three are the XD smiley face, the rolling on the floor laughing with tears smiley face, and the smiley sweat drop. Number four is the man shrugging. Okay. See, I, ne- I never get your, your happy emojis. I get the shrugging and the face palm a lot. <laughs> says a lot really I, I wonder why that is I wonder why that is I ask difficult questions and I, I give bad answers what are yours then mine are face throwing a kiss emoji a grimace emoji and sad face sad face yeah sad face why, why is it sad what's sad thing because always sad news there's always like disappointing news Sad news. The Fortnite World Cup is over. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't understand the grimace emoji. You sometimes send me the grimace emoji and I'm like, what does this mean? I, I don't even know how to interpret this. <laughs> Maybe I'm just really sensitive to awkwardness. If, if something's awkward or I am slightly don't know what to say here. Use the grimace emoji. Okay, this is interesting. Like, how do people interpret emoji, right? It is funny. It is funny. Like, there are certain things where people have just, like, come to accept that an emoji means a certain thing. And there's other ones where I feel like 
the definition is a bit less clear. And so people use them to mean something. And sometimes the other person receiving that emoji does not interpret it the same way. Like, I've never quite known what on earth you're getting at when you send the grimacing emoji. I'm like, I don't understand this, but okay. Uh, it would be too awkward to ask for clarification. And then you should grimace back. Oh, no. Okay, now I know. It's never that awkward, but I, I grimace too easily. Do you ethnically customize your emoji? Uh, yeah, I do. I don't do this. I find this weird. So you, uh, you're yellow still. I deliberately, every time you try and use an emoji that you haven't used before, it just asks you to ethnically customize it. And I always have to manually select, no, just send it with Simpsons coloring. Then my next question was, when you're shrugging and face palming, do you have black hair? No, I'm just sending the default Simpsons colored emoji. But if you're shrugging, I don't think you can be Simpsons. I don't think you can be Simpsons colored, can you? It's just the default. Let okay. me send it to you right now. Oh, you have black hair. I know you have black hair. Garbo, it's not black hair. I've got yellow hair. I mean, oh, you really are defaulting. Yeah, default. I mean, I don't know why the default is blonde hair. Shrug, you know. <laughs> yeah, shrugging man. <laughs> well, at least it's the right emoji for it. Send the grimace. It's interesting. We had the perfect opportunity to segue into Fortnite, but we didn't take it. We didn't take it. Now we're off down this rabbit hole of ethnic emoji. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I mean, are we going to stop digging this hole any deeper and we're going to quickly climb back out and talk about Fortnite? Yes, we are. I, we already mentioned it again. Let's do it. Fortnite World Cup. I don't really have much to say. I mean, it was on Twitch. I asked you guys about it on Sunday. But you said, no, we're not watching it. I didn't watch it. Why would I watch it? I don't play Fortnite. I don't play Fortnite. I have no respect for people playing Fortnite. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For some reason, everybody at work was talking about it. I think it was covered in the mainstream press. And so loads of people in the office were talking about the outrageous prize money and 15-year-olds becoming millionaires. Yeah, because even fourth place makes you a millionaire. Yep. The fourth place prize was... A million dollars. I mean, actually, I think if you got into the final, so, you know, you were just one of the top 100, that already got you 50,000 US. So literally, you could just arrive, come last, and still get 50,000. It's pretty good. Why are you playing PUBG? I'm playing PUBG for friendship. I'm playing PUBG <laughs> for, for social I think reasons. You are. <laughs> so abusive when you play to PUBG. Ruin, to ruin friendships and prove I'm better than <laughs> Actually, I played Apex with someone from work and I was shocked how much better than me they were. Like, <laughs> they were, like, amazing. I felt, like, I felt genuinely embarrassed to be playing with them because they were just so much better. On PC as well? On PC. <laughs> you must be I, mean, I will bad. say... Apex is not like my main game. But having said that, I think they played more Apex than I have played PUBG. Oh. Yeah, maybe they're just better. Maybe they're younger. They still got that natural youth. It's like a drug. They should be they should have like a doping test for that. I'm sorry, sir, you failed. Uh you're too young. It's it's an unfair advantage. We have to what we need to do is create the seniors league. Senior league. <laughs> for all the games. We can have a Fortnite over 30s league. 
Why is that the over 30s? We still lose that one. <laughs> we Need can't compete in over 40s yet. Over 35 then. <laughs> over 30. Let's try to make a really narrow age bracket. I think we'd still lose. Probably. So what did you really want to say about Fortnite? I, I didn't really want to say anything. You brought it up. <laughs> I just thought... <laughs> I guess it was just the outrageous prize money. I th- I just think it's funny. This is the first time that in the office, a load of people who definitely do not play computer games and know very little about them just asked me about Fortnite. They were like, oh, what did you think of the Fortnite World Cup? And I'm like, are you really asking me this question? This is very surreal. And what did you say? I just said I thought it was, yeah, big prize money. Particularly the 50,000, even if you come last. But to be fair, to have come last in the final, you still had to like beat away like another 40 million people. And there were cheaters there. You're going to have to tell me about this because I didn't watch it at all. Uh, oh, I actually don't know what happened. <laughs> I thought you would know. <laughs> oh, great. Some video game podcast this turned out to be. <laughs> we're not a video. We're not a, for- <laughs> we're not a Fortnite podcast. We should move on. So what happened this weekend? So we should address the deteriorating situation in Hong Kong. We're both still in Hong Kong. Neither of us has been tear gassed yet. But you're trying to be tear gassed. I've almost been tear gassed twice. Like I've actually been really close like twice. You've been well away from it. Yeah, I don't think... I've even been close to it. Yeah, I mean, two times on the weekend, I've gone out and met friends for dinner and then come back, walked out of the MTR station and it's been like a war zone. Like there's people dismantling, you know, like the fences, you know, like, you know, like the railings that prevent, you know, pedestrians just walking into the street or cars just running into you, like the big metal railings. So like there have been teams of people dismantling those railings and building barricades from them and then you know like supply lines of people shuttling helmets and water and face masks and stuff up to the front lines and then you can like smell tear gas in the air it's pretty crazy so like even though i haven't deliberately been trying to seek it out in the last few weeks since it's really escalated i have literally just like stepped out the mtr station and it's been like right there in front of me And then one of the people I met for dinner, they actually caught the MTR back to Yunlong, which is where all those white shirt triad people were beating people up with sticks. So it's been pretty wild. But we're still here and we haven't been tear gassed or beaten up by the police. I think it's a matter of time. I saw some crazy video where this... 40 or 50 something year old white woman is just walking down the street and like this riot policeman just like grabs her and then just like pushes her over totally unprovoked that was the craziest because like she's clearly just a random bystander who's probably not really paying attention but still (laughs) like it's kind of shocking that there's like (laughs) this guy in like you know, body armor just like grabs her and then like is pushing her back and just like shoves her onto the floor. Or maybe I'm just surprised that white privilege doesn't protect you anymore. But like, 
It's really you surprising. It. You said it. I mean, I, I, I said, I said it, not say you. It. <laughs> didn't know we, if we, we could say it, but you said it. We probably it. can't say it, but I've said it. I've said it. That's what we've come to. She's meant to be untouchable. So a couple more, like, couple of funny incidents. or cu- So I came across a video where a policeman tried to toss back some... Tried to throw, like, a tear gas grenade... Back into the crowd of protesters? <laughs> Question mark. Was he, was he trying to throw it back? I thought he was just trying to throw it for the first time. I don't think it was like it got thrown at him and he was trying to throw it back. Well, it was just regardless. there. It was just there in the middle. So he like sort of scrambled. I say scrambled. He sort of did a funny walk towards it. <laughs> I don't it's the most ridiculous video because it's like... It's, it's like he accidentally on purpose just tear gasses a load of journalists, right? Because you see him pick it up. And he goes to throw it, and instead of throwing it forwards, he kind of like like goes whoops and throws it over his shoulder instead, right into this bunch of like you know journalists. And he's like, "Oh no, I'm sorry, I accidentally threw a tear gas grenade right into your face." And it's like on fire, and they're all like running away and going, "Ah, oh, do you, do you, do you?" Which means, <laughs> incidentally, it's like he's, it's just really funny. It's like he's trying to throw an underarm or something and he just doesn't like let go. It just like goes right over his shoulder. It's like, is this incompetence or is this accidentally on purpose? I don't know. It was beautiful regardless. <laughs> and then there's the other one where like a tear gas grenade just like lands in the street and then a bunch of the protesters run up and dump a traffic cone on it and then like pour water into the top of the traffic cone just to extinguish it. Like, they're really organised. Like, they see it land, and then, like, a pack of them runs up and, like, plonks down a traffic cone on top to contain it, and then extinguishes it by pouring water in the top of the cone. I thought that was quite slick as well. I can't believe it's actually come to this, though. Like, Hong Kong, for all the previous years I've been here, has always been, like, so safe. And it's escalated really quickly. It's gone from, oh, this is interesting, and it's just a bunch of peaceful marching to it's not even occupy it's more just like disrupt everything you don't they know they can't they know they know they can't actually occupy an area because they'll send in riot police and they also know that it doesn't actually accomplish anything so now they're literally just trying to do it for the sake of making a statement but they know that they're not going to hold it long term they literally just barricade it make the police come out and then they all just scarper. But that's the plan from the beginning. And China has said it's okay. Oh, geez. Well, it's a very interesting situation. I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, by this weekend, it might have changed again. Who knows? Yeah, well, let's leave it at that. We could go on a long time. <laughs> it can drag this one out. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me today, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Timothy. We are a book club for games. But not today. Today, we are going to cover a few Nintendo updates. Loot boxes. And Mike's. Dinner with Jonathan Blow. Because it actually happened. (laughs) It's not a dream. Though I feel like he was vaguely unimpressed with the experience, <laughs> whatever. We'll get that He later. came out. No, I think fair play to him. Yeah, he he came out and he met a bunch of random people from Twitter, 
So totally fair play to him. I think we were a disappointment, but you know, maybe, maybe I'm just projecting shrug emoji. Has anyone asked him on Twitter how, how his trip to Hong Kong was? No, <laughs> we're, too, we're all too embarrassed. <laughs> Anyway, Nintendo. So it appears the Joy-Con drift that people have been experiencing is becoming a growing issue. And Nintendo has had to come out and say it will fix broken Joy-Cons for free and refunding prior repairs. However, this is only in the US. Or at least as of the moment we record this, this is only in the US. So people in other countries, notably the UK, have said, hey, I've got this Joy-Con drift problem and Nintendo customer support has said, so what do you want us to do about it? And they're like, oh, you're repairing it for free. It's like, well, that statement was made by Nintendo of America. So what do you want us to do about it? Uh, So basically Nintendo of Europe are saying, initiate a class action lawsuit and we'll think about it. So how are your Joy-Cons? Well, you haven't really quantified what joy-con drift even is so please joy-con drift is kind of like a miscalibration of the joystick right because they're analog joysticks and for whatever reason the like center position of the joystick is misaligned and so the joystick thinks that you're pushing a direction even when it's in its neutral position I mean, this is a thing that just happens with analog joysticks, and usually you can just calibrate them and then it will be okay again. But Joy-Con drift apparently is a persistent issue, and recalibrating doesn't help. So, I mean, I personally have not experienced this, but I don't actually use the Joy-Cons very often. So, as we'll get to later, my Switch spends 99% of the time just docked with the TV, and I just play on the Pro Controller. So I'll only use the Joy-Cons in the rare occasions when I take the Switch out portably or when I play Tetris 99. But when I play Tetris 99, I don't use the joystick anyway, so that wouldn't put any wear on the stick. Oh, so that's your answer then. My answer is, yeah, I haven't had to. Just don't use it. (laughs) Yeah, the solution solution to Joy-Con drift is just never use your Joy-Cons. That's not a very scalable solution, I think. You don't have this either? Because you have no time for video games anymore. I just like the Pro Controller. I did go through a period of playing the Switch in bed, but Zelda's not that kind of game. I'm sure if I was playing Odyssey, it'd be a different story. I mean, what games are these people playing that's causing the... What games are causing Joy-Con abuse? I'm not sure it even needs particular abuse. I mean, it's probably just wear and tear. The Joy-Con is 
a marvel of engineering. They have crammed basically a dual shock into, you know, a tiny device the size of a fish finger. So it's probably quite fragile comparatively, right? Like the pieces, the parts must be miniaturized. Maybe they just don't have much tolerance on them. I don't know. Okay. It's also possible that newer Joy-Cons won't have this problem because, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there have been a few silent hardware revisions or minor tweaks to the design as issues like this have been reported. So it's probably just that people who bought a first-gen Switch are beginning to encounter these issues now, just through wear and tear. Okay. Can we move on? Well, speaking of hardware revisions, Switch Lite? Yes, the Switch Lite. What are your thoughts on the Switch Lite? What, what is the Switch Lite? Uh, a disappointment? No. Uh, it's a more portable Switch that doesn't have detachable Joy-Cons. It's like a single fused unit. It's a bit smaller. It's lighter. It has comparable battery life, maybe even slightly better yep. than the original Switch. You can't dock it. There's no ability to make it output to a TV. So it's a purely portable device. It's basically a switch that you can only use in handheld mode. And it comes in yellow. Yellow, turquoise, and grey. Yeah, I mean, call me when you make an orange one. No, actually, no, actually just <laughs> really? don't bother. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. No, I'm kidding. I was initially kind of interested in this. I, I thought it was kind of funny where in the intro video, you know, the guy's introducing it and he's showing it and then he walks up to this big TV and he's like, and this switch doesn't work with this TV. <laughs> like, what? Then what was the point of it? I think it'd be <laughs> funny if he just taken the TV and just pushed it off the table and be like, we won't be needing this. That would have been better, yes. <laughs> oh, I was really hoping that he was going to announce a mini dock or something, right? Because the switch dock is this big chunky thing i would quite like it if you could just plug a USB-C cable into the bottom of the switch and it would output to the tv or at least you know a much smaller dock than the giant thing right now but no they don't have that so no tv output no detachable joy cons games that require detachable joy cons you have to buy separate joy cons and a way of charging them if you wanted to use it with a Switch Lite. In terms of what that actually impacts, basically you can't play 1-2 Switch, so no great loss. I assume you're not interested in it. No, I'm not. I think if the Switch had magical save game and library sync, like Steam, I might have actually been interested because... You know, in the same way that you can just use any computer that you're logged into Steam on and all your games are there and all your save games are there and you can just seamlessly pick up on it. And if this Switch was like that, then that might have been quite cool because I could just leave my current Switch just docked and I could use this and, you know, play it on my commute or something. But in a way, it's a good thing that it doesn't have magical sync because I totally don't need another Switch and 
I don't think I would really use it on my commute. Like, I very rarely use the Switch portably. My commute isn't really long enough to warrant using the Switch, or at least it's or it's too crowded to play it comfortably. And the only other times I take it portably are when I go on holiday, and then I generally don't actually end up playing it because I'm on holiday and doing holiday stuff. So I guess this is for households where they need a second switch i can imagine it being relevant you know if you've got like family with lots of kids or something or a cheaper switch maybe if you have a kid who wants a switch and you want a cheaper option it is hundred dollars cheaper so there you go so cloud saves aren't the magical cloud saves that you need so nintendo i i think they said they are going to do switch online cloud saves but i I have no faith in Nintendo's ability to do it well. It's fair enough. As well as the Switch Lite, has Nintendo announced a new hardware revision? Or has it tried to sneak it out, but the game's media has picked it up? No, they have announced it. They have officially announced there is a new hardware revision of the Switch. And they have officially said that the battery life is better. And presumably, it could run faster, but they they limit the clock speed. Well, making it run faster introduces potential compatibility problems. So, mm. exactly, just instead using the efficiency improvements to give it better battery life is probably a sensible move. So, the OG Switch... The estimated battery life is two and a half to six and a half hours, depending on the game. And for the new Switch, it's four and a half hours to nine hours, which is actually a pretty big improvement. Mm. But not something that we've noticed. Well, I mean, neither of us uses it portably particularly, so it's kind of pointless for us. But, you know, if you have battery life anxiety, it's a good thing. The improvements have come about because both the Switch Lite and this hardware revision are using, I think it's called Marico. Yep. Which is a revised version of the Tegra X1. Uh, I think it's a process shrink, right? So it's like 17 nanometer process instead of 25 or something. To be honest, I don't remember the exact numbers. No one really cares. Well, I'm, I'm impressed. Okay, fine. Well, if those numbers are correct, you can be impressed. And if they're not correct, then sorry. Basically, it's one number's got smaller. Yeah, one number's got smaller, and it's made the battery life number get bigger. Everybody's happy. And this revised switch looks exactly like the current switch model. It's only internal changes. Presumably, they've also fixed the internal issue that led to that you know, hardware-level hack. So... If you ever wanted to root your Switch, maybe you're better off having an original one as well. But that's a very niche pastime. So there was speculation earlier this year about a Switch Pro, but I think this is it. This is all we're getting. Yeah. I'd actually be interested in a Switch Pro, but I'm also a crazy person. Like, you know, what would I like from a Switch Pro? I would like a Switch made of better materials. I would like it to have you know, like a tempered glass screen. Do I mean tempered glass? Like a gorilla glass screen. You know, I'd like it to have a screen of the quality that I have on, say, an iPad. And I'd like it to have better battery life. You know, like an an iPad's battery lasts freaking ages, right? 
Like I use my iPad quite a lot to watch YouTube and you know, it goes days without me having to charge it. But you're just watching videos. I suppose that is quite a high efficiency thing. Still, if you made a switch with the hardware quality of an iPad, it would probably cost like a thousand dollars and then no one would buy it. You would buy it. Well, yeah, but I'm quite, I'm also quite a niche market, right? Like, does the Switch support Bluetooth headphones? No. I really like it to do that. I did mention that Nintendo has a history of hardware revisions. And you did mention that you've always got the OG version of each handheld that they've put out. For the Game Boy Advance, I had a Game Boy Advance SP. So I didn't have the original GBA. Okay. I had the clamshell one with the backlight. But other than that, yes, I had the original hardware revision of each handheld. I thought they were terrible. The DS <laughs> yeah, was terrible. The 3DS was terrible. Yeah. I'm actually quite looking forward to when they revise the Switch. You're assuming they're going to do another revision. I mean, they probably will, actually, because they revised the DS several times. Because it was the the DS Fat, then the DS Lite, then the DSi, and then the 3DS is still kind of in the same lineage. And then that itself got a revision as well. And then the 2DS. Oh, yeah, the 2DS as well. Yeah, I mean, the handhelds were like a long line of backwards compatible devices. And there was an XL version of these things as well? There was indeed an XL version, yes. So I thought the, the Switch Pro was was actually going to be a Switch XL. But I don't think that's helping anyone. Well, I mean, the problem there is going to be the Joy-Cons, right? Because you're going to have to make XL Joy-Cons. But those Joy-Cons can't, you know... I'm sure there are people who want XL Joy-Cons because those Joy-Cons are really small. They're going to be chicken goujon size rather than fish finger. Maybe they'll be the size of an entire breaded place. Are you dieting again? <laughs> Is this what's happening? <laughs> I'm just obsessed with fried food. Actually, I'm not. I've, I've actually had, without going too deep greens. this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I've been eating a lot of greens and then I've been eating a lot of, uh, I've been eating a lot of Haribo and kinder surprise well not kinder surprise but kinder confectionery basically a friend from germany is visiting and just brought me loads of german snacks okay es ist lecker ja <laughs> das ist alles Hello, I'm here to talk about monetization. It's Let's Go Whaling. It is about a, uh, a summary of a huge bunch of uh, behavioral psychology. So the, the tricks on, on how to monetize a game well. Some of you will probably uh, be slightly shocked by all the tricks I have listed here. Loot boxes. What do you want to say about this? I feel like it's, it's time for us to state our thoughts, our position on loot boxes. Because there's a... I oh know. I came across two BBC articles and I thought they were a little bit nonsense. Actually, one, one 
there was one BBC article that I came across that I thought was a little bit nonsense. And I thought, you know, I think it's taken it too far. So it's the one where the, the headline is, my son spent £3,160 in one game. And if you read the article, there's there's five examples of excess expenditure for whatever game. I don't, you know, and the blame is always on the on the store, the developer, the publisher, you know, the studio. It's never on the parent. Why is it the parent's fault? Ooh. I mean, it kind of is the parent's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I'm glad you helped me out there. I don't know. I mean, it's like when you've got an obesity epidemic and then do you blame fast food and sugary snacks or do you blame the people who have no self-control? But then again, is it the people who have no self-control? It's it's kids. It's kids who don't know any better with these loot boxes generally, right? All the examples from that article were either kids or people with like learning disabilities or other, you know, mental health issues. Yeah, the fact you've... One of the cases is someone with mental health issues makes it harder for you to discuss there aren't any examples in there of say like a 20 something or a 30 something who has a regular job who just became obsessed with a game and decided to spend five grand on it for example i feel like for my example i actually can't buy anything on the app store as an adult because i use i'm on a family account because you're freeloading right you're a freeloader <laughs> I don't understand how kids have got away with it. And as an adult, I can't. It's because your brother-in-law is a sensible individual and has locked down the family account because he knows otherwise your other brother-in-law will be spending like three grand on Candy Crush, right? He doesn't trust the other members of your family group. He probably trusts trustworthy Ting because Ting, you know, you're a very sensible fellow. But he knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, because you're all leeching off his Apple Music account. Yes. Sickening. Let's move on. There are a couple more examples. A couple of FIFA ones. FIFA packs and loot boxes are considered not gambling in the UK. I found this funny because there's some statement about how in UK gambling laws, it's not gambling because it doesn't have monetary value. How can you say it doesn't have monetary value? You're spending money on it. But you can't extract monetary value from it. I guess they're saying because there's no secondary market. Yeah, you can't just turn those packs into into cash right i i don't know it feels strange like if you can make something addictive and have all the qualities of gambling and have basically i mean it's like you're right it's not gambling it's ultra gambling right it's worse than gambling like with gambling at least there's an upside with ultra gambling you just give the money for the feeling of like gambling and there's no upside too did you collect football stickers or any stickers i i did when I was a kid, yes, everyone did the football stickers thing. It was really perplexing for me because I just didn't follow football, but it was just everyone was doing it. So I was like, I guess I'm going to buy a sticker book. I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> Nor did, you know, some of them we didn't know who they were as well. But it's the same idea, right? You were just collecting stickers. But grown adults are playing this. This is idiocy. Why would you do this? You have disposable income disposable income doesn't literally mean i want to throw it away <laughs> well it, it is disposable but ultimate team you're building a team right i mean i was being you know it was hyperbole when i said it's worth nothing right it has a the players you get in ultimate team make your team stronger in the game right yeah yeah they do 
So it's more than just stickers. Yes, it's better than stickers. I really feel like this is kind of like the whole video game crash situation where in the 80s, Atari was like, we can put any shit on a cartridge and it will sell. And they made loads of terrible video games. And then eventually the market just had enough and refused to buy any games. And then the market crashed. And basically a lot of these companies have realized they can just make microtransactions. They can make loot boxes and people will buy them. And they can make really offensive microtransactions and just apply clever psychological techniques to them and people will spend loads of money on them and the regulators haven't really caught on yet. But it feels like this is going to cause a crash in inverted commas. Either regulators will just come down on them or the market will turn on them at some point. Except that the market's kids who just aren't going to learn, so that's the problem. Because there's always more kids, right? Yes. I thought the GTA situation was interesting because, I mean, I didn't know anything about this until YouTube just started playing me loads of adverts for the new GTA (laughs) Online casino. And I was like, oh, there's a casino in GTA Online now. I better install it. (laughs) It's like, if they fix the load times. But... I heard that in about 50 countries, you can't actually play the casino. You, you can go in, but you can't buy, you know, the virtual chips or something. Because it's, crazy. you know, anti-gambling legislation. But it goes to show that it is a bit of a grey area, whether it's, you know, covered or not covered by existing gambling laws. It's interesting because people are like VPNing into, into countries where it's allowed and then the playing it that way it's it's you know you have to be quite committed to do that are you that committed to gambling in in a virtual casino i i mean i don't understand this personally yeah it's a really interesting update because i've I, there's, it's self-censored right they've they've rockstar themselves have disabled it it's not the other way around well presumably they've either worked with the local regulators and they know it's going to be banned or out of an abundance of caution they're doing it because they don't want the cash cow of gta online as a whole becoming banned because of this casino which is quite sensible it's interesting no one's looked at it that way because you know the other headline is shock horror virtual casinos available globally and all the kids are on it yeah i mean GTA has never been a series to shy away from controversy, but I guess that's a headline they don't want. And then lastly, I I sent over a presentation on free-to-play games. Yeah, this the title of the presentation was Let's Go Whaling. And I was like, what? What has this got to do with whaling? And then, of course, they're talking about catching these whales, you know, the big spenders. And I was like, oh, I get it. Clever. And they basically outline a bunch of the psychological techniques that they use to encourage people to spend in these free-to-play games. Anything that spoke to you? I, I'm I'm aware of most of these. Like I had heard of most of these things via other channels in the past, but it was interesting to see them presented one after another 
I think I said to you, it's like it's lawful evil, right? It's like, oh, the people who do this are lawful evil. Like they know it's actually just going to ruin people's lives. Like I don't think I don't think anybody's thinking it's like, yeah, we're going to make them spend in this game that's going to make them feel really good about themselves. It's like we know we're going to make them spend even though they probably shouldn't. But I want another Ferrari, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yes. I think there were some interesting points which I didn't I didn't realize or didn't know about. So whales take longer to commit to their first payment. So they were saying that there there has to be a core game because I always thought about this is how much quality gameplay is there until they start blocking you off and start pushing you to the store. And there was a stat that said 19 days. So there's there is like a few weeks worth of content until they start pushing the the microtransactions on you. I think this is just an optimization problem because I think if you have zero quality gameplay, some people will still do it. I mean, if you remember Cow Clicker? No. Do you remember this? No. So very early on on Facebook, when you could first make apps on Facebook, someone made... Uh, again, in inverted commas, game called Cow Clicker. And all you could do was click on your cow. I think it was like once a day or maybe once an hour. And you could spend real money to customize your cow so you could have different kinds of cow or to be able to click on your cow more often. And people spent money on this game. But what was the purpose of clicking your cow? Nothing. It just literally allowed you to click on the cow. The The game was satire. There was no purpose to the game. The guy who made the game after a while just felt bad about taking these people's money and he made the cows just disappear. So it just displayed an empty field. And he actually said, oh, the cows have been raptured. They're gone. And then people complained. And he said, I'm sorry, the cows, they've gone. They've gone. You know, they've, they've gone to heaven. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. But but yeah, literally this this happened. Right. So maybe 19 days is the optimal to hook the most players, but there are people who will just do it anyway. Oh, that's sad. Another one was the the IKEA effect, which I thought was quite humorous. And that he openly said IKEA furniture is shit, but because we're building it ourselves, we we create an emotional attachment to it with it and therefore we enjoy it more appreciate it more and it's true you buy customizations you are going to become more attached to it i mean i guess some of these things are just free-to-play games and not loot boxes in general because i have spent money on in-game purchases i very rarely but i have done it so I did buy some stuff in Pokemon Go. Convenient stuff. Uh, well, no, actually all like gameplay stuff. So I bought some Pokecoins and I used it to increase my Pokemon storage because I just, I couldn't fit all the Pokemon in the Pokemon storage that I had. So I have spent money on Pokemon Go. I actually have spent money on cosmetics in PUBG. I literally bought a jacket because I thought it looked dapper. I'm not sure why, in hindsight, it was kind of crazy, but I did play a few hundred hours of it, so... Yes, that's okay. 
I was very invested in my character at that point, yeah. Oh, and there's some commentary on the types of player as well. Achievers. Oh, I can't remember them now. Yeah, explorers. There were two others. <laughs> <laughs> two other archetypes. No, I, I thought it was interesting. Like, they, you know, again, like another thing in reference to those player types, I think he talked about like, if you make your game entirely skill-based, people won't spend on it. Yes. Because they'll either just get better at the game or they'll realize that spending money is kind of pointless so they won't bother. Like, it won't make them better. And if you make your game too grindy, then I guess people will just immediately shy away. So you have to make it a bit skill-based and then just also very grindy, but not offensively so. Or just offensively enough. <laughs> just offensively just offensively enough. So what do you make of it all? I really, I really don't know. I think it's like such a... I think it's one of those things where it's fine most of the time, but people are really pushing the boundaries of what is fine. Like Hearthstone card packs, you know, you know, is a virtual loot box essentially, but there's a physical precedent for it. You know, we've had like Magic the Gathering and other collectible card games for years in the real world. And that didn't fall foul of gambling laws. So I guess that means things like Hearthstone and FIFA Ultimate Team and whatever. You know, there's the precedent that they're okay. But I also feel like, yeah, a lot of these companies are just pushing it harder and harder. You know, what is acceptable? And maybe they're targeting younger and younger people too who just don't know better. And some of the time you don't know how the microtransactions will play out until after the launch of a game or three months down the line, four months down the line. So for instance, I know that Call of Duty, when they send their games out for review, they don't reveal how the microtransaction is going to work till after, a few months afterwards. I generally really dislike microtransactions. I mean, often if a game has a premium currency, I will just not play that game. I, you know, I just don't want to engage with it. Because, you know, you can see that they're trying to use these psychological techniques on you to encourage you to spend. And I just don't want to be part of it. You know, I don't want to spend my whole time either resisting it or thinking, oh, just this once I could spend the money and it'll be so much better. Like, no, I don't even want to start. I don't want to become invested in the game. I don't want to, like, build this crappy wobbly table and then feel invested in it that I have to spend money to prop it up, right? It's when there's peer pressure involved as well. That was quite a neat one, I thought, where it really pushes hard when one of your clanmates buys something from the store and you, you, you feel compelled to do the same. Yeah, social pressure is one of the most powerful effects. I just... Uh, I'm just too dismissive of free-to-play games. Maybe they're not too bad. Maybe that's why people play them. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I think it's a slippery slope. I think it's dangerous. Something like Apex Legends, I think, is done very well. It's, it's free to play. You can spend money on the battle pass. It's not offensive. If you're really invested in the game because you're playing it a lot, 
you will want those cosmetics because you will identify, you know, with your character, you wanna, you're going to want to show that you've got premium stuff and you play the game enough that maybe it is worth it for you. Whereas, you know, these games that are like farming sims or city building sims are like, oh no, your builder is tired. You can buy some energy drink now to help them for only like five pounds or you can wait one week, you know, or it's like, you know, one of the techniques they say, oh, it'll be 50 pounds. And then later on, they're like, oh, it's on sale. It's only five pounds now. And you think, oh, this is a great deal. You know, like, ah, it is a great deal. Lawful evil, offensive psychological trickery. How much do you think the, the state should step in? I don't know. I, I can imagine that they may do something at some point, like say, you must be 18 to purchase microtransactions or something, right? Like it could happen. It's kind of implicit right now because you need, you know, to buy stuff on one of these platforms, you need a credit card. So it's just that a lot of the time people end up spending their parents' money. Yes. Does your phone push you to enter your credit card details? I think it does now. What, what do you mean? Like when you set up your your Apple phone, does it push you to enter your credit card details? Oh, for Apple Pay, yeah, I think it does. But is that link then linked to your Apple ID? Yeah, yeah. No, that's terrible. You see, it's all Apple's fault. They're not really the good guys. Since when were they the good guys? Oh, they you know they're trying to be the good guys. They look after your privacy. I'm an idealist. I wish that we didn't always cry to the regulators every time something like this happened. But I'm probably going to get myself ripped off in five years' time and then going to complain to the BBC. (laughs) And I'll be in one of these articles. You're going to be there saying like, my kid spent $10,000 on, I don't know, Fortnite V-Bucks. Actually, speaking of Fortnite, I did think it was interesting that in Fortnite now, they have to show you the contents of the loot box. I'm not sure if this is just in certain countries or if this is everywhere, because I actually literally haven't played Fortnite now for over a year. But in Fortnite, I think the loot boxes are these llamas, like piñatas, and I think it just shows you an x-ray of what's inside it before you buy it. Uh So that's how they're getting around it now, just to say, look... It's not really gambling because we'll show you what you're going to get. At what point do they show you what you're going to get? Before you've spent the money. Because otherwise, what would be the point, right? So you can say, I want to buy a loot box and it will show you what's going to be in the loot box and you can decide whether you want it or not. Outline? Silhouette? Actual? I think it's just like silhouette or outline or something. I I don't know all the details, but I'm fairly sure... Fortnite is doing this. I mean, the thing is, they know they're the biggest game, so they know they're obviously the biggest target now. And interestingly, they're not getting written about. So they're doing something right. Yeah, but I, I don't think Fortnite was ever the biggest culprit in this mess. You know, it's it's those city builder nonsense mobile games.
to the main event, the headline event. The headline event. You deliberately said we should do this one last because you were aware this was going to soak up all the available time once I just start talking about it. Who knows what um, interesting tidbit you're going to give us. So, Jonathan Blow was in Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago and he tweeted that he was going to be in Hong Kong and asked if there were any Hong Kong game devs that were interested in meeting up. And one of the guys I was in the same team as for Global Game Jam actually runs a game dev meetup and knows I'm a massive fan of Jonathan Blow. So he actually organized a meetup with his game dev group and Jonathan Blow and invited me along. So yeah, I went for dinner with Jonathan Blow and about like 20 other people. It was actually fairly... Not the most intimate. No, <laughs> but still, it was got to meet Jonathan Blow in person and have a random chat with him. And yeah, I mean, look, he's an interesting guy. He actually, in real life, was basically just like he is on Twitch and Twitter and whatever. So yeah, you know, interesting character. Very, very smart, slightly terrifying, very opinionated. What can I say? So he was in Asia to give a couple of talks in Taiwan and Singapore, I think. And he just decided to come to Hong Kong because he was in the area and he'd never been to Hong Kong before. So yeah, and he picked an interesting time to come because of all the protests, obviously. And then, you know, he tweeted a video out of one of the presentations he did. So, uh, I mean, it's interesting. It's an evolution of the presentation that he's given several times before, I think, where he talks about, you know, his methodology of developing games and, you know, what the games look like in the early stages and how he builds and iterates on them. And, you know, obviously the final product is what gets released. So, anyway... I'm just now going to give random anecdotes from being at dinner with Jonathan Blow. How does that sound? Sounds great. Do it. I hope they're gaming related. <laughs> Actually, do I need to clarify who Jonathan Blow is? Because obviously... Yeah, a little bit. Why not? So, Jonathan Blow is an indie game dev. He's like indie game dev royalty. You know, he's like one of the famous early indie devs and he is famously pretty opinionated i think he offends a lot of people on twitter because he just says stuff that he thinks and he's like quite blunt about it you know he's just like maybe just a bad programmer then he'll, he'll literally just say stuff like that and then a lot of people just get horribly offended but you know he's probably right I suspect he'd have no respect for my programming abilities, for example. But, you know, that's another story. So, yes. and I wouldn't call you a programmer anyway. <laughs> yeah, now I'm like, what? Middle management nonsense. Anyway. Hand-waving. Lots of hand-waving. Lots of hand-waving, lots of meetings. Yeah. Lots of coffee. But the games Jonathan Blow is most famous for are Braid and the witness so in gaming circles that's what he's best known for anyway into random anecdotes so we're sat down at dinner we're talking about 
games and game dev and stuff. And the other member of our team at Global Game Jam, who is a massive fan of Slay the Spire, as I am too, asks Jonathan Blow what he thinks of Slay the Spire. And Jonathan Blow just said, oh, I don't think it's very good, which was like a knife to the heart for both of us. Because we both think Slay the Spire is actually an amazingly well-designed and balanced game. And Jonathan Blow just completely poo-pooed it, which was a real surprise to me, actually. So he just said, oh, it's just another deck building game. There's nothing special about it. And then we we brought up all these points about how well-balanced it was and how interesting the gameplay was and the design decisions. And he was just like, it's just another deck building game. Like, you're not convincing me at all. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, I think he just hasn't played it enough, personally. But you focus on balance. It sounds like, from what you wrote down here, that he focused on the unlocks. And that's progression. Well, I mean, he particularly said that he didn't think the unlocks were an interesting thing. He said, like, the number of cards you start with already allow you to build a few interesting decks. And he thought that having the different characters was like a cheap way out. Why not just allow you to build whatever deck and so on? Like, you know, I take the opposite viewpoint, which is that those characters are a way of kind of railroading you into particular builds and you kind of like signaling which kind of way you want to play the game. But if you want to play, you know, the the fully random anything goes, like you can do that. You can play with modifiers on and you can just set the modifier cards of any colour, you know. It makes sense. It doesn't speak to his philosophy of design. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's probably very much at odds with his design philosophy because mm. he is all about that singular vision. You know, he is the designer. He is the one who is coming up with the design that makes the player feel a certain way. Yes. And Slay the Spire is like the exact antithesis of this. It's just like data, 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 like harvest data from all the people playing it, see what they're doing with the cards, see which decks are overpowered and then balance it around that. So, yep. yeah, maybe it's just that it's a really good game, but it's the opposite of how he sees the world. Yeah, he wants it it to be an experience as you come into and learn about the, the cards available to you. I, I'm still just surprised he doesn't like it because I actually really think it is that. Maybe he just played it earlier in its life cycle, you know, before it came out of early access. But maybe he just doesn't like it. I mean, he's allowed to not like it, right? So, yep. fair enough. And then inflammatory statements, you know, he made... Most games are bad. Most programmers are bad. Programming languages are bad. Programmers are getting worse. Like it was basically like absolutely dumping on programmers and programming in general and games. Oh, did, did he mention any games specifically? Well, other than Slay the Spire. No, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he didn't really mention any other games. You know, there is some truth. There are, there are bad games. Yeah, it was just interesting that he said, you know, most games are bad, most programmers are bad. Like he he really didn't <laughs> have any getting to say. worse. Bloody hell. And I think the thing is he clearly feels this very strongly, given that he's making his own programming language. Like he really doesn't think the programming languages we have today and the new programming languages that have you know, are being or have been developed recently are actually helping. In fact, he thinks they're making it worse. 
I actually went down a massive rabbit hole on this because I knew the name of his language, but as far as I can tell, he has never said the name of his language out loud, and so I didn't know how to pronounce it. And I ended up watching like six hours of videos of him talking about his new language, trying to hear him say the name of the language. How do you spell it? So it's J A I. I think it's pronounced Jai because he hired a guy to help him write the compiler. And in like within thirty seconds of watching one of the compiler guy's videos, he just says the word Jai, and I was like, "Thank you, thank you." You know, I should have just watched thirty seconds of your videos rather than six hours of Jonathan Blow. Although actually, the six hours of Jonathan Blow was very interesting because he is actually a very smart guy. How else would you pronounce it?、Uh, how else could I pronounce it? You might say J A I. You might say. Hi or Yai, I guess. Okay, Jai would be what I would initially have guessed it was. Yeah, because that's an actor's name, right? But it's it's just funny because you know a lot of the time when people say they're making a thing and they pick a name for it, they'll go into detail about why they picked the name as well and what the name means. Like as far as I can tell, Jonathan Blow, at least in his like live streams where he talks about the language. I mean, maybe, I haven't watched every single one of them because there's like probably like dozens of hours of them. But in the ones that I have watched, both originally and then recently, as a refresher before this episode, I don't think he's ever given a rationale for the name. Just the name just appears one day, and he never ever says the name of the language. He just always talks about the language and the features. It's not a good name. That's why. <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff I kind of want to say about the language and his opinions of the language and stuff he said about the language or what he's trying to achieve with the language at dinner. But I think that unless you are a programmer, it will mean absolutely nothing to you. So I guess this is probably the sort of conversation for you and me to have, not on the podcast. Yes. Given that, well, I don't know. Maybe there's loads of programmers listening to this. You know, write in if you're actually interested to hear or have a discussion about Jonathan Blow's programming language. I mean, I guess all I'll say is that the initial thing he's making in the language, he's making the language itself. He's making a game and engine in the language as part of that initial release to prove that language can be used to make games because it's meant to be a language for making games, a better language for making games. So. I think he said, "Oh, it will be kind of like Unity, but just for programmers. It's not drag and drop. You have to be a programmer." And then, yeah, I don't know. My other comment is that he hates garbage collection, right? As far as I can tell, he absolutely hates garbage collection. So, given that I've pretty much only ever worked in garbage collection languages, I suspect he'd have absolutely no respect for any of my opinions, anyway. <laughs> but that's too bad for me. More importantly, he's a fan of. Of Zachtronics games, which came out from this same conversation, or not? <laughs> oh yes, we did just name drop a few other games and find out, or just just to get his opinion after he brutally slayed Slay the Spire. So yeah, he did mention the Zachtronics games he thinks are good games, particularly Opus Magnum and Shenzhenio. I guess I should have known that because I've seen him live stream Opus Magnum. Does he make beautiful machines? I think they were fairly elegant, yes, but nothing that really sticks in my mind now. We did also talk about Spelunky because, like, really shockingly, there was another guy on the table who was sat next to Jonathan Blow talking about 
how he only plays really good games now and he's playing the witness now and i was just like geez what a suck up but that guy had never played spelunky and you know that was shocking i I think jonathan blow does rate spelunky so you know respect there as well (laughs) you're clearly not a fan of the teacher's pet (laughs) well actually i should say no more (laughs) i will say i will say no more you say yes i'm not a fan (laughs) okay other funny chat that came out over dinner i actually asked him what convinced you that you should quit your job and make braid or like focus on making you know indie games what made you think that actually i should quit this job and do it because it's quite a leap hmm particularly at the time he made Braid, like, you know, there wasn't any kind of, well, at least the indie game industry at that time was not like it is today. Though in some ways, maybe that makes it better because there was like less cruft, but still it was not an established thing for someone to do. And he actually said that he never had a career type job, which I didn't realize. I actually thought he had, you know, a, a job in Silicon Valley. A triple, like a triple AL. I thought he had jobs at AAA developers. I don't know. No, I thought he, I thought he'd done like some game dev stuff, and he'd done like contract work at game development studios. But I thought he had an actual like kind of corporate job as well. But apparently not. I mean, he he actually said, "Oh no, I only really ever did contract work, so there wasn't really a career for me to give up. It was easy." And I was like, "Oh, okay then." And then something he said that I thought was funny because. It was just a weird sliding doors parallel to my own life, except that I'm probably not as good a programmer as him. He mentioned that after, you know, university, one of the things he did was, you know, apply for a job at a bank, but he didn't get it and thus ended up doing what, you know, he did. And I was just thinking, oh, that's funny because I after finishing university, wasn't sure what to do. And I was thinking of just taking a year to just try and write computer games because that's actually what I wanted to do. But another friend said, oh, this bank has just reopened applications. You should just try it. So I just submitted an application and I got the job. And that's how I then ended up on this like corporate career. So yeah, you know, imagine if I hadn't got the job, would I be a successful indie dev? Or maybe I would actually just be flipping burgers somewhere. You know, you still have time. You still have time. <laughs> I still have time. I can follow my dream of going to work for McDonald's. <laughs> and then surprising statements. He, I think it's well known that he borrowed money to finish Braid. And then he actually also ran out of money for the witness and borrowed money for the witness too. But what I didn't realize is that he didn't borrow the money for the witness from a bank. So he actually said, oh, I borrowed $3 million to finish the witness. And I mean, I think he said that the witness cost six million to make overall. So like half the money it cost to make the witness, he actually borrowed. But he said he didn't borrow it from a bank. He borrowed it from an individual and he wouldn't say who it was, but he said he borrowed three million dollars from an individual. He shouldn't say who it was, though. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. Well, obviously he can't say who it was, but still, who's got three million dollars just to borrow? Like, who's like your mate who's got three million dollars? Like, I was just very much thinking, is this a rich get richer kind of thing? like situation like if you are rich or you just know people who are rich like they've got three million dollars lying around you can afford to take this kind of risk 
Uh, but when you're, when you're famous, the rich come to you as well. I guess so. Maybe some like braid super fan was like, oh, Jonathan, I'll lend you $3 million. Yeah, and he's quite, he, he's quite confident in his views on things. So he seems like the right person to lend money to, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like he, he doesn't seem to know failure. And then one last thing that I thought was very interesting. So he just made the statement that he doesn't make prototypes. And I was like, wait, what? Like double take. So I think somebody asked him, oh, you know, what are you working on now? Any interesting prototypes? And he said, oh, I don't do prototypes. And I, I was just shocked by this because the whole reason like I know Jonathan Blow exists is because he did a talk about prototypes and what makes a good prototype and that talk was put up on tig source which was like a blog for indie games that i you know used to follow religiously and that is why i knew jonathan blow existed and after watching that talk i was like wow this guy is really switched on i'm very interested in what he has to say and very interested in any games he's going to make because like he has some very interesting ideas and he's clearly a very smart guy so it was just so weird for me because like jonathan blow and prototypes in my head like go together and for him to then say oh i don't do prototypes you know i i actually i actually turned around and just said to him wait what like i know you exist because of this talk you did about prototypes all these years ago and he said oh yeah okay i should clarify i don't do prototypes anymore and then i said but that talk you did in Singapore, I saw that you referenced, you know, those Braid early versions and and the other versions of The Witness too. He said, well, I don't consider those prototypes. I consider those game ideas that I iterated on. But a prototype is a thing you make and then throw away. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. So he, I think he said like the last prototype he made was maybe in like 2010, which was like a game kind of based around Feynman diagrams and to try and maybe teach you you know physics and that's also in the talk that he gave like you know a, a few minutes of gameplay of this game which is not really a game it's more of an experiment that he decided maybe wasn't fun or needed more you know thought but yeah it it really surprised me that he doesn't do prototypes anymore mm, that's confidence <laughs> yeah i guess so he doesn't feel the need to do it now but i think he said he's got like a couple of other games as well like on the back burner in the works that you know haven't been shown publicly so that's interesting too because he has a studio right yes but i i don't think there's many people there like he he mentioned you know why did he have to borrow this three million dollars it was because of the burn rate of just employing a lot of people and trying to finish a game like the witness it just it does take a lot of people whereas now the game has shipped and you know the contractors have all rolled off and the number of permanent staff at the studio i think is much smaller so they're really focused right now on that programming language which is i don't know i i still think it's really interesting like who makes a programming language right it's just like for most people to say, oh, I'm making my own programming language, that would be like staggering arrogance. <sighs> I really don't think there are many people who are actually 
really qualified to make their own programming language. Like their their programming language is going to end up being like, oh, it's like Java, but I changed the string literal because I didn't like it. And I was like, well, that's just lame, you know, like, but he has a lot of opinions about what would make a good programming language for writing games, because obviously that's what he really knows. And what are the limitations of, you know, C or C++. And yeah, I, you know, he clearly does have the knowledge and capability to actually make this programming language. So it's going to be very interesting. I, I, I think, you know, there, there's the possibility that if the language is as good as he says it is, you know, maybe this language will be his enduring legacy and not his games. If the language really does provide the productivity improvements to devs and also the performance improvements then yeah you know maybe there'll be a massive paradigm switch in the industry and game engines will start to be written in this language instead so that i mean that would be really interesting no but it won't have he's already he's already said programmers are too shit to understand things so no one's going to understand his language so it's a non-starter. Well, no, it's very smart, you see, because everyone will be too embarrassed to say they don't understand it. Everyone will have to say they understand his language. Otherwise, they'll be in, you know, the 99% of shit programmers. But they won't use it, though. They can say they understand it, but they won't use it because... <laughs> nah. I think if you're a C or C++ programmer, I think you'll be fine with it. I think when he says most programmers are bad, he's talking about us who use garbage collected languages. Sorry. They, they use garbage collection in C++ as well. And I don't have to garbage collect everything I write. <laughs> I, I, I do... I, you know what? Let's not go down this coding rabbit hole. Yeah, let's hole. not go down here. Let's not go down this coding I have I have many coding opinions too. But yeah, let's not go there. For some reason, you've always made it a... You've always tried to compare yourself, Jonathan Blow. And you've always looked to the time that you have to achieve what he has. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> He is older. I did look this up to check. Yeah, so I just need to make a multi-million dollar selling game in the next 10 years. And then write my own programming language. Yes. You'll get to name it, which is a plus. I'll spend so long coming up with the name and the story behind the name that I won't get to actually writing the language. Maybe I can, maybe I should just focus on being like the opposite of Jonathan Blow because he's already doing what he's doing like better than I could do it. Uh, what is being the opposite of Jonathan Blow? <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, so I was thinking like, Jonathan suck. <laughs> what is <laughs> this? This is so bad. This is so bad. <laughs> maybe we should end this here. <laughs> We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.an.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. Anywhere else? Reddit. Slash r slash. Lost Levels Club. So, Michael, what are you grateful for?
I am grateful for discovering that Netflix now has Neon Genesis Evangelion. And then I rewatched it. And now I have the song from the end of Evangelion stuck in my head for the past week. It's really weird, actually. I don't know why. Have you seen Neon Genesis Evangelion? No. It's really weird. I watched it when I was a teenager and it really spoke to me. And then now everyone's talking about it again because it's on Netflix. And I watched it again and I realized that the protagonist is like a whiny brat. And the fact that he spoke to me is actually vaguely embarrassing. Spoke to me like figuratively. He obviously didn't literally speak to me. I'm not actually hallucinating. Is the whiny brat still speaking to you? I don't know. I only watched a couple of episodes and then the movie. The movie's really good. Actually, I didn't even watch the whole movie. I just skipped to the end for the action scene. But, you know... Had you watched it before? I've seen it before, man. Of course, of course I've seen it before. But, like, the final few scenes of the movie are just wild. Like, the animation is amazing. And it's just, like, so visceral. And then it goes into total, like... Madness. And this song, which has just been stuck in my head for the past week... I highly recommend it. It's actually a really, really good anime. Okay. The movie. Then again, maybe animes for dweebs. So, no, <laughs> what? The movie, yes. There's the, there's the original like TV series, and then there's two films, one of which you can actually probably just ignore, and then the other one, which is called The End of Evangelion, which is just really good, but you kind of had to have watched most of the rest of the TV series for it to make sense because it's literally just... Well, it's the end of Evangelion. It's the replacement for the last two episodes of the TV series because the TV series, basically, they ran out of money, I think. So the last two episodes are pretty much just like stop-motion animation and a few sketches and then a load of dialogue, which is kind of like interesting plot and character development wise but like not very visually interesting and apparently the studio just got a lot of flack for it but then they actually just did get loads more money because the series was really popular as a whole and then used it to make this film and the film is just like crazy like the animation is amazing and then the plot is just yeah crazy so not the new ones, not the new films made in 2007 onwards. Oh, the new ones are crazy in a different way. Yeah, they got, you know, it's it's a hugely popular and influential, like, piece of Japanese animation. So they remade it again. And then the new ones are just different again in a new and crazy way. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it finally being over next year. The last film in the remake series is going to be out next July, I think. A trailer came out recently. They just shove the Eiffel Tower into like a giant monster and blow it up. That's okay. That's, that's what should be done <laughs> like, with the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, get rid of it. You're like, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> what? What are you saying to me? Yeah, do I just be rude? <laughs> All right, enough of this nonsense. So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.